You're listening to Closer Look. Here's Billy Branham. You may have seen the social media posts about a child who went swimming, choked on some water, and then had to be taken into the emergency room, or worse. Well, it's something that used to be called dry drowning or secondary drowning. It's scary for parents, especially with mixed information out there. Joining me is Dr. Mike Patrick with Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Dr. Mike will explain when to worry and why most of us shouldn't. Thanks for your time, Dr. Mike. Oh, absolutely. Glad to be here. Can you explain secondary or dry drowning? Yeah, absolutely. So these are terms that uh, parents can you know, easily hear. They're not really medically accurate terms. So drowning is drowning. We don't really distinguish dry drowning or secondary drowning anymore. The point is that when kids have a submersion or immersion in water, so water goes into the airway, um, they can cough and sputter or they go completely underwater. Um, they can have symptoms that occur right away or they could have very mild symptoms that gradually get worse. And so it appears that things are a little bit delayed. That's why it was called secondary drowning or they've been out of the water for quite a while before they start to have noticeable symptoms. So that's why it was called dry drowning. But really, these symptoms started when um, the water was in the lungs and in the airway, and it just took a little bit longer for the symptoms to become noticeable for the parents. Why does it seem like we are hearing more about this lately? Well, I think it's mostly because of social media just makes it so easy to um, talk about these events. And so it becomes uh, on folks' radar pretty easily. Um, The actual incidence has not increased at all. It ends up being that if your child does have a incidence when they're in the water, and uh, they kind of choke, sputter, you know, that sort of thing. It's common. Over 95% of the time, uh, they're going to be fine, and there's, they're not going to develop any symptoms. Less than 5% of the time, they can develop uh, symptoms that occur a little bit later, almost always within the first 24 hours after that incident occurs. But I think we just hear about it more, even though it's a fairly rare event. I think it's just on folks' radar, but in the medical field, we've we've always uh, known that it exists. You mentioned symptoms. What are those symptoms? Well, any difficulty um, breathing or anything related to breathing and airway would definitely make you want to take notice. So if a child has a persistent cough within the first 24 hours after any event in the water, any difficulty breathing, wheezing, you know, just anything with their breathing that's different, you'd want to have someone take a look at that right away. Now, interestingly, um, there's no way to predict which kid will have this happen. And you don't really know until those symptoms take place. So if they're completely normal, they have no respiratory symptoms, no cough, no wheezing, no difficulty breathing, and you take them in to see someone, you know, they'll listen to their lungs and say, yeah, they're clear. We agree. They look good. But that does not mean that this still isn't going to happen. So you just, for the first 24 hours after a kid is in the water and has an issue, you want to keep a close eye on them. And the first sign that there's a problem, that's when you would get them in. Uh, The other symptoms that we think about is behavioral changes. So sometimes if kids are just having a little difficulty breathing, but it's not noticeable to the parent, you know, it may make them more irritable, maybe a little bit more sleepy. Uh, For other kids, it would be the opposite, and they'd become a little bit more hyperactive. So the other thing we tell parents is just keep an eye on their behavior as well. And if after they're in the water and have a problem for 24 hours, you know, if they start acting funny to you, you know, but they're still not coughing or having problems breathing, still probably a good idea to get them in and have someone take a listen to their lungs and and check them over. 
This recently happened in Sarasota. A four-year-old was blowing water through a pool noodle, and that little girl actually inhaled some of the water, and her mom credits a dad's post on, on social media for alerting her to some of the symptoms. Her daughter kept declining in health, and when she took her in, she said, by the way, she swallowed a lot of water while she was in the pool playing with the pool noodle. And they did some yeah. scans, and they found that the chemicals caused an infection. Now, how rare is that? That is also pretty unusual. Um, now, if a kid uh, swallows water and it's a large amount of water, sometimes they can um, aspirate that. So if you have a large volume of water in your stomach, sometimes that water will come back up the esophagus and uh, what we would call reflux. And then that water can get aspirated down into the airway or from the pool water itself that can get down into the into the lungs. So it can happen either way, but a kid who swallows a lot of water, the intestine, the stomach has bacteria in it already. And so it may not be bacteria from the pool water. It may be bacteria that was in the kid's stomach, and then they aspirated that water because they were, their stomach was full of it, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So how can people yeah. keep their kids safe while swimming? How can we prevent this from happening? The number one way to keep your kids safe while swimming is constant supervision. So you just want to have a constant watch on the pool. And I, you know, you want it to be someplace where there's lifeguards present, uh, but the lifeguards are scanning that whole pool. They're not constantly watching your child. And so you really just want to keep your eyes on your kid all the time. You know, we, you, you think of, okay, I'm going to take the kids to the pool and I'm going to read a book, catch up on my social media. If you're the only parent there watching your kids, uh, you really need to watch your kids and not be opening a book or on the phone. Uh, but you really do want to keep a close eye on them. And then uh, that way you're going to know even if they don't go under, they don't attract the attention of the lifeguard. If they do have an episode where they kind of cough and sputter, um, you know, don't panic, uh, especially if they look good right afterward. But then, you know, hey, for the next 24 hours, I just need to be observant. And then if they start to have a cough or any behavioral changes, difficulty breathing, wheezing, you know, make sure that they're seen right away. This is Closer Look. I'm Billy Branham talking with Dr. Mike Patrick. He works in emergency medicine at Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio. Now, we've learned that emergency room doctors are now being told to stop using the terms dry drowning or secondary drowning because they're inaccurate. And we've heard some tips to keep kids safe while in the pool. I'm curious, can this happen to adults? It can. It's less often because adults aren't swimming <laughs> as much <laughs> as kids are. So there's just uh, more contact with the water in, in kids. Uh, but certainly it's the same uh, mechanism that can cause this. It's interesting that, the, you know, when you have lungs full of water, you, you know, you're going to know that right away. What, what happens is some of that pool water can get down deep in the lungs, even a small amount, and washes away a chemical um, called surfactant that's a soap-like substance that those little tiny air sacs in the lungs, it helps keep them open. And when the pool water dilutes that surfactant, um, it makes those tiny little airways sort of stick together. Uh, if you think about a balloon that's not blown up and it's just, it's just collapsed, and without that surfactant present, it can cause the airway to stick together and uh, not get oxygen. It's usually just a small amount of the lung that's affected, but the body sort of compensates by sending fluid to the lungs to try to open up those airways, which doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's something we call pulmonary edema. And then that's when the symptoms get really bad when your body's own fluid starts to fill in the lungs. And uh, that's typically what happens when they're delayed um, onset of symptoms. But again, this is a very, very rare uh, occurrence. So it's more common then when they're younger or toddler age than it is if they're an older kid? I, I wouldn't say that. Again, um, only because toddlers and 
uh, smaller kids are more likely to have a problem in the water and cough and choke and gag. Older kids, you know, especially if they're good swimmers, they've been around the water a lot, you know, they know when to close their mouth and the best way to hold their nose. So they're less likely, especially if they're an experienced swimmer, uh, to have this happen. But there's nothing about the body itself in younger kids that makes this more likely. Have you ever run into this at Nationwide Children's Hospital at all? Sure. We do see um, kids from time to time who have an episode in the water and they start to develop symptoms. Uh, Their parents come in to get them checked out. Um, Even when it does happen, so again, that's less than 5% of all incidents in the water, uh, we still watch them for several hours. And the vast majority of those kids, which again is a small number, you know, you just you watch them, you observe them, and then they go home. It's the really rare kid who ends up having a severe problem, and then they need to be admitted to the intensive care unit and to have their breathing supported until they get through it. And uh, it's just it's real important to to identify those kids. You know, as soon as they start having problems and support and provide whatever support and care that they need. What should you tell a doctor if you suspect that your child might be suffering from this? Well, I would just let them know that uh, your child was swimming. Just describe exactly what happened, how long long ago that it happened and uh, what their symptoms are that have you concerned. Uh, And then, you know, let the doctor take a good look at them and and make a determination from there. Do you have any other wisdom you can pass along to parents listening? You know, I think it's important uh, that kids do get outside and play and uh, and learn to swim and be in the water and a time to get outside and be a kid. And so when you read these stories and hear about injuries in, in pediatrics, it's easy to say, let's wrap our kids in bubble wrap and, and not have fun. That's it's safer. But activity is important, too. And this is a, a rare event. And as long as parents you know, know what to look for, um, know when to get help, um, it's going to be okay. Well, thank you, Dr. Mike, for your time today. I appreciate you educating us on what we have been known for years as dry drowning or secondary drowning. So this is all important information and to know that this is more rare, but also what to look for in that case, in that rare case, is is extremely important for parents. So thank you again. Absolutely. My pleasure. For Closer Look, I'm Billy Branham. This has been K-Love Closer Look. Find us online at klove.com.